0: Well, happy Easter to you. I want to ask you if you'll do me a brief favor. Would you please join me in thanking our worship team, our band, our tech team, all those who have worked so hard to help us and to lead us in worship as we celebrate the resurrected King on this day. There's another group that I want to mention really quickly. that has nothing to do with the sermon. There are so many people. There are literally hundreds of people who rearranged their Easter weekend to serve and to make room on Sunday by coming on Friday and Saturday night. These are kind of the core of the core of Lake Hills Church. So I want to ask you if you'll join me in thanking all of our volunteers who are (laughs) serving around our campus in kids' ministry, our ushers, our parkers, our greeters, our our parking lot crew takes their lives in their hands every Sunday. So we're grateful to them. And, you know, really and truly, I, I thought about it. The fact is, I really owe the biggest thanks in the whole room to our worship team because the fact of the matter is, they just preached the introduction to the Easter sermon. I mean, that song, the lyrics of that song perfectly present the premise of Easter. The fact that the resurrected King is resurrecting me. This is, this is the reality that Jesus Christ did, in fact, die on a cross. He did, in fact rise from the dead, and he is right here, right now, in fact, resurrecting anyone who would follow him from death to life. It's a phenomenal, phenomenal premise. And we know, of course, from the scriptural record that on that first Easter Sunday morning, a small group of women went to the tomb of Jesus to prepare his body for long-term burial. You you might remember that Jesus, of course, was crucified on a Friday. He died late in the afternoon, and because the Jewish Sabbath was about to begin, his body was very quickly taken down from the cross and just temporarily laid in a borrowed grave. In in that day and age, the graves kind of were essentially a, a cave that would have an opening covered by a stone. And because he had been taken down so quickly, his body had not been prepared for burial. And so this small group of women went to the tomb on that Easter Sunday morning, and they were there to prepare the body of Christ. But, of course, we know that when they got there, they didn't find the body of Christ. I want you to tell your neighbor like you mean it, with Easter passion and enthusiasm, oh, man, he wasn't there. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us that this small group of women encountered two angels The Bible says that they were men, but we know, of course, that they were angels because they had around them the the glory of God. And when the women got to the tomb, these angels asked them a very pointed question. I love this. It's in Luke chapter 24, verses 5 and 6. Then the men, the angels, asked them, why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. He is risen from the dead. And this is the premise of Easter. This, this is the reality that we celebrate on Easter. Now, of course, we celebrate the fact of the resurrection, and the fact of the resurrection on that Sunday morning is why we celebrate the Sabbath on Sunday rather than Saturday, because of the resurrection. But it's imperative that we understand It's not just the resurrection. It's the fact that he has risen from the dead. And I'm going to say something that I think you might want to write down. It's really profound. Dead means dead. That's what what it means. It's not a a metaphor. It's not a spiritual allegory to communicate some kind of spiritual, mystical truth. It is the reality that Jesus Christ did, in fact, die on the cross. And, you know, for all of our medical advancements and discoveries, the reality is we still, even 2,000 years later, we cannot generate life out of non-life. That remains exclusively God's purview. Dead means dead. And that's what Jesus was on that Friday afternoon so, so long ago. And the death of Jesus is real. Death for us It is a reality that we can't and won't escape. It 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 just is what it is. I remember when we'd first moved to Austin, the first home that we ever owned as a family backed up to some woods, kind of a little greenbelt area. And Emily and Joseph were very, very young, not even in kindergarten yet. And because we didn't have any dogs yet or anything, we didn't have a fence in the backyard. And so one day, I decided, being father of the year, we were going to go on an adventure. We we were going exploring and. You know, we might all make it back. We might all not. But we're going to go on an adventure. And so I took Emily and Joseph by the hand, and we went out the back door of our house. And before we had taken even a couple of steps into the backyard, I noticed at the edge of our yard, where the woods started, there was a there was a deer lying in the grass. And, and I could tell it, it it probably wasn't good. You know what I mean? And, and so I was kind of worried about how Emily and Joseph would respond to this this you know, potentially traumatic experience, and we walked out and got a little closer, and they kind of started to notice the deer once they got closer, and Emily just chimed right in. She goes, Dad, what's wrong with him? And so I thought, as a father, I thought, you know what, I'm going to just kind of, we're just going to kind of go back inside and make this not a traumatic big deal. I said, you know what, I think he's sleeping. Let's go back inside and let him rest. But I knew that he wasn't sleeping, because if you know anything about deer, they just about never sleep with their legs stuck straight out like this. And that was not a sleeping deer. And as I turned to make my move back into the house that I hoped Emily and Joe would follow, Emily went right around behind me and went right up to this deer and, and said very matter-of-factly, matter like, Nope, he's dead. <laughs> she, didn't, she didn't even face her. She, she somehow knew. She goes, Dead is dead. It is what it is. But when we understand that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, we begin to understand this, this premise of Easter. We begin to understand the reality that, that dead was dead not only for Jesus physically, but that what is true for us physically and biologically is also, also true of us spiritually. You see, in in the premise of Easter is the reality and and the truth of the matter that all of us, absent a relationship with Christ, apart from the amazing grace of God, all of us are already walking dead. We are spiritually dead because of the sin that's in our lives, the sin that Jesus went to the cross on our behalf for. And, And that sin is a big deal. It's not just a a tiny little, you know, wink and a nudge, that's okay, do better next time, partner. It is a really big deal. Here's how the Bible describes this reality of ours. In Colossians chapter 2, the Bible says you were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ. For he forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. You see, the reality is that sin always leads to death. Always. Now, it's it's rarely immediate. It's rarely instantaneous. Sometimes it takes a long, long, long time. And I think it's important on Easter that we're honest, don't you? Isn't it true that sometimes, at least temporarily, sin can be fun? Is there anybody, you don't necessarily have to raise your hand, but am I the only one who has found that in my life? Sometimes, for at least a little while, sin can be fun. It can be entertaining. It can be numbing. It can insulate us from this reality. Of spiritual death, but ultimately, where sin is concerned, the end game is always the same. Because sin, by its very nature, means that we are walking away from God, God who is the author of life, God who is morally flawless, holy, and righteous. And when we walk away from that, we're always walking toward a spiritual reality. Now, the fact is, we will all physically die at some point. At some point, we will all go the way of the deer. I mean, that, that's going to happen. But the premise of Easter is that we are also spiritually dead apart from Christ. But that Christ died with, with the offer of new life, of a resurrection from this spiritual death into the life that is truly life that begins right here and right now and lasts forever. It's eternal never ending. And so embedded in the premise of Easter is a really profound promise. That the promise of Easter is that Christ, the resurrected king is resurrecting anyone who would follow him. No matter where you've been, no matter what you've done. If you choose to take hold of the promise of Easter, you will be forgiven you will have eternal life and it's not just about what happens when you die but it's in the right here and the right now it's taking hold of that promise here's what the bible says in the book of romans romans chapter 10 says if everybody say if if you openly declare that jesus is lord you, you acknowledge that he is god and you are not and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be. That's the promise of Easter. You will be saved. You will be resurrected. You will be brought from death to life. See, this this Jesus thing, this this good news, this is not just self-help. This is not self-improvement. This isn't self-anything. This is what God has done for us. He did what we could never have done on our own. And Jesus rose from the dead with the promise of a new life. But the promise goes even deeper than that. The the promise of Easter is so profound. It is so multi-level, so multi-layered. And it's... It's in Ephesians chapter 1. Here's what the Bible tells us. Ephesians chapter 1. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So, we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness And grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. So, when God commissioned Christ's crucifixion and Jesus shed his blood for the forgiveness of our sins, anyone who would take hold of that promise is then adopted into the family of God. That's a staggering promise. It's so important that we understand that. It. It's so profound that as a church, we're gonna really dive into this starting next weekend. Next weekend, we're gonna begin to unpack what it means to be to be family. And this is so important. I want to I want to show you how important this is by, by asking you a couple of questions. Here's a question: by a show of hands, how many of us here in the room on this Easter weekend, how many of you are part of a family. If you're part of a family, maybe you're a son or a daughter, mom or dad, aunt or uncle, grandpa. That should be just about everybody, <laughs> unless you were hatched somewhere. <laughs> we're all part of a family. Now, let me ask you another question. This is going to be fun. How many of us who are part of a family, which we've established as all of us, how many of us who are part of a family have noticed or observed that at least somewhere, to some degree, within our families, by a show of hands. How many of us have noticed there's at least a little bit of crazy in your family? Can I just see a show of hands? My family's here on the second row. I see all their hands going up. Listen. That's just part of it. Your family, listen, you know why you know your family's at least a little, at least a little bit crazy? Because you're in it. We've all got a little cray cray in our lives. But here's the implication. Because our families have at least a little bit of crazy. Now, don't, don't point to them if you're sitting with them in church on Easter. But because our families have a little bit of crazy, that can at least slightly skew. Or, or maybe even it could significantly sidetrack our understanding of what it means to be a part of the family of God. And, and so over the next few weeks as a church... We're going to go to Scripture and mine it for wisdom and insight, but not just for wisdom and insight, but for principles and practices about how we exist with healthy families right here, right now. It's a series that we're starting next weekend. This is church-wide, Fearless Family, starting next Sunday, April the 8th. Now, I want to challenge you, I want to invite you to be a part of this series, even if church is not typically a part of your weekly habit, just take four weeks, four weeks, one hour a week and, and dive into this with us and, and watch and see if God doesn't show up and show out in some profound ways in your life. Because this idea of family goes so deep to our understanding, to our experience of the promise of of Easter and so I want to invite you, I want to challenge you, extend the experience of Easter beyond just this service and move with us over the next few weeks because the promise of Easter is so profound. It is so multi-layered and reaches into every part of our lives. But you probably have already figured out something. You've probably already figured out that to to recognize the premise of Easter and and to to understand the promise of Easter, it it isn't enough on its own. That the promise is so powerful, but you've got to take hold of it. You know, this coming summer, Julie and I are going to celebrate 27 years of wedded bliss. 27 years. I remember when we got married, I was 11 years old. And um, we had obviously gotten engaged before we got married, but on that day, August the 10th, 1991, 11 a.m., First Baptist Church, Laurel, Mississippi, on that day, she and I took hold of the promise we had made to each other. We had gotten engaged. I mean, I put a ring on it, Jack, but. We were not yet married. And, and I will never forget that moment when I was standing down at the front of the church, my, my groomsmen. I had two, my brothers are twins, so I had two best men. And then groomsmen out beside them, Julie's bridesmaids had come down the aisle and, you know, carrying the flowers and everything. And, and I was standing there, and it, it, everything was cool. And I will never forget the moment that the organ, that big pipe organ in the church, stopped. Whomp. And the doors in the back of the church closed. And I remember just going, whoa. And all of a sudden, the organ started again with the wedding march. And the doors flung open. And Julie stepped out into the aisle on her dad's arm. And they started coming down the aisle. And, And I've got to tell you this, too. Just for a split second, I mean a split second, I remember being terrified. Terrified. Men, how many of you know what I'm talking about? When you're standing there, I'm just talking about it for a split second. You know about being just terrified. You're about to be, look, do not leave me hanging on Easter, guys. I know you're going, honey, I don't know what he was talking about. It was the greatest day of my life. I don't know why he was so terrified. That's terrible. Bunch of liars in church on Easter. There's a moment, but it passes. It passed. And all of a sudden, I remember going, that's my bride. That's my bride. She's she's coming down here and and she got down on the front. Man, she looked good. I mean, good. And we we held hands and she said, I do. And I said, I do. and, And we took hold of the promise we had made to each other. But I'll tell you something else I remember. On that day that we took hold of the promise, we had no clue what we were getting into. We had no idea that that the next 27 years would be the incredible ride that it's been. We had no idea there'd be two children to come out of this union, that we'd get to be a part of Lake Hills Church, which didn't even exist. We had no idea the, the ups and the downs and the challenges, the unexpected bills, the air conditioning units that would go out, the roofs that would need to be replaced. We had no clue. We just knew in that moment we were taking hold of the promise we had made to each other, and we were saying, I'm in it to win it. Let's go. The promise of Easter is identical. There is no way you could anticipate or calculate all that it will mean in your life. All you can do is begin to take hold of the promise. But the premise and the promise aren't enough. Jesus was very, very clear throughout his earthly ministry and in his teachings that the the premise is important. Remember, the resurrected king is resurrected. That's why he was here, was to save us, to resurrect us from death to life. And the promise that, that it's for anyone who would follow him, that, that's the most profound promise that has ever been offered. But Jesus said what he's most concerned with, what he's most interested in in our lives and out of our lives is the practice of Easter. That that the practice of Easter would be a day-in, day-out event and occurrence and just a a lifestyle. That we would practice this faith. That that in in our practice of Easter, the the premise and the promise would, would get out of bed and put on shoes and go to work. That the way we talk to each other, the way we work, the way we live, the way we love, the way we study in school, the way we play sports, the way we play the violin, the way we do everything would be an expression of worship. It would be the practice of Easter. Look at how Jesus put this. Jesus in his own words in Matthew chapter 16. Then Jesus said to his disciples, his followers, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross And follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but you lose your own soul? Is anything, is anything worth more than your soul? To take up your cross and follow Jesus, that is to practice Easter. Now, I think it does beg the question. You know, we would all, I think, you know, at least somewhere inside of us go, you know, at least silently, amen, take up your cross. Yeah, that's good, yeah. What does that mean? How how do we 2,000 years after Jesus literally picked up his cross, how do we take up our cross and practice Easter? Well, think about what Jesus did. When he took up his cross, He surrendered his will to the will of the Father in trust and obedience. Trust and obedience. Jesus took up the cross. He surrendered his will. Remember the night before the cross in Gethsemane? Jesus prayed. He said, Lord, if there is any way, Father, let this cup pass from me. But, not my will, but your will be done. He surrendered his will to the Father in trust, in an obedience. Obedience just means that you do what God says to do and you don't do what he says not to do. But but to take up your cross, it's actually simpler than you might think. To take up your cross means... That you begin with what Jesus said was the greatest commandment love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love God with everything that you've got. Your heart is your passions. Well, what are you passionate about in this life? Love God with that. Your soul, that's your identity. That, that's the core of who God made you to be, who He designed you to be, and who He desires you to be. With your mind, I always think it's funny when people say, well, to be a Christian, you got to check your brain at the door. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. Anybody who says that hadn't done the homework. Listen, to be a follower of Christ requires every ounce of intellect God gave you. Don't check your brain at the door. Engage your mind. Do the homework. Do the legwork. And love him with your strength, with your body, with, with what we do physically, how we care for this gift that he's given us. Not everybody can jump as high as I can. That's okay. Love God with what you've got. If you're a regular around here, at lunch, I want you to tell your guest that he was kidding. I can't jump high. I can't run fast. But I can love God with what he did give me physically. You begin by loving God with everything that you've got and then just do whatever he lays on your heart to do. Whatever he lays on your heart, go do it. He will give you the desires of your heart if you love him and are called according to his purposes. Love God and then do whatever he lays on your heart to do. But you know, for some people, for some people to to pick up the cross and follow Jesus Is going to require a a first step. Some of us here haven't taken that first step of faith. And and for you, man, I I want you to know, this, it it is so simple to do. But but I've got to tell you also, you will be shocked at how difficult it can be going forward. You see, to, to... Take that first step of faith is simple. The only thing that Jesus requires is everything. He he asks for everything surrendered to him. You must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow him. It's everything. But But it begins with that first step. But remember, when you surrender your will To Jesus, you surrender your will to the only one who will never take advantage of your surrender. And if you ever wonder, if you ever doubt his motives in asking for your complete surrender, remember the cross. Because he's already surrendered his life for yours. He initiated this. And he invites you into this relationship The resurrected king is resurrecting anyone who would follow him. I want to ask you to bow your heads for just a moment. It's a brief moment, but it is a sacred moment. And So I want to ask for nobody to be moving or stirring or creating a distraction in any way. It's too important right now. If you're here today and you want to begin a relationship with Christ, then I want to invite you to pray a simple prayer, a simple prayer, but an all-consuming prayer, a prayer of beginning and a prayer of surrender, to begin to practice Easter, not just on Easter, but every day. If that's you, then you pray silently right where you're sitting. Pray in your own words, something like this. Just, just talk to Jesus. He's perfect. He can hear you even in the silence. He knows your heart. Just talk and say, silently say to him, Jesus, I need you. I need you. And so right now, I confess my sin to you. Jesus, I am taking hold of the promise of Easter. I'm claiming your promise to bring me from death to life, and I claim your forgiveness. And I will practice Easter to the best of my ability for the rest of my life and forever with you Jesus I pray this prayer in your name I want to ask you just to remain with your head bowed for a a brief moment but a sacred moment because God's moving in people's lives and if that was your prayer picked a great moment for it number one it's it's easter and this now becomes your first easter april the 1st 2018 will forevermore be the day that you took hold of the promise of easter and began to practice it and so it's a big deal but it's also the perfect time because you're surrounded by people who want to help We want to be, we want to offer ourselves as the family that God talks about in the promise. We want to help you grow in your next steps and whatever that might be. And so I want to ask you just right now where you're sitting, if you would begin to to let us know how we can help. Let us know that God did that in your life. Don't, Don't just leave it in your chair when you get up and leave in just a moment. Start by by filling out that connect card that is in the program you got when you came in. You'll notice about halfway down on that card is a place to indicate I committed my life to Christ this week. And before you leave, I want to just ask you to hand that to one of our ushers, our hosts, or maybe to somebody under the kind of blue canopy out on the front porch as you walk out. But then second of all, if that was your prayer, This is your moment of beginning that relationship with Christ. As our heads are bowed for just another moment, would you just raise your hand? Quietly, but decisively. Raise it up high and hold it over your head. And as you raise your hand, you're you're physically representing the spiritual commitment that you just made. You physically represent and, and stamp this moment. To know that it's real, that God did it and you responded. You stamp this moment in the life of our church because there's nothing more important to us than this moment in your life and others like it. And so as a family, on this Easter family gathering, we want you to know that we love you and we want to help and we celebrate that with you. We honor that. As you put your hands down, we love to put our hands together just to tell you happy Easter and welcome home. Welcome home.